Well, good morning, everybody. You know, baptism is always a special time, and it's just this, there's so much that goes into it. It's, as Joey was pointing out earlier, it's just kind of this culmination of our mission. It's just this next step as we see people who were walking in darkness, who were away from God, and all of a sudden now they're following God, and they've been transformed, they've been changed, they have hope, they have strength, they have freedom. And so there, there's this missing link that happens between someone who doesn't know and someone who does know. Like there's this missing link, there's this gap that happens, there's got to be someone to connect them to uh, this new life. And this is what this series about Equip has been about. As for those of you who've been coming for a little bit, you know we've been in this series for more than a minute. Uh, we, we've done it for a few weeks, we have this week and next week and we'll finish up this series. And to equip just means to give someone the tools and the training that they need to do something. It just gives someone the tools and the training that they need to do something. So most of us, as we grew up, our parents equipped us to be adults. You know, they gave us some tools. They, uh, the first thing they gave us was potty training because you can't go to school without that, right? I mean, that's the first training we got. And then maybe you learn how to drive a car and you get equipped. You know how to hold the steering wheel. You know how to turn the radio off. You know how to not text. You know how to start the car. You know how to steer it. You know how to make it go and stop. You, you, get, some equi- you get equipped. You get some tools and you get some training to make that happen. And this is what we want to be about as a church. It's just equip is about tools and training for us to be this, this missing link for people, for us to know what it means to follow God, to really kind of put the mission of God back in the hands of everyday, ordinary people. Because what, what has happened over the years is that it tends to kind of get put in the hands of a select few professionals, the priests and the pastors, but that's never, that was never God's plan. God's plan was always to put it in the hands of everyday, ordinary people so that we can be part of this movement that God has been writing throughout history. And this is really important for several reasons. You know, the first reason it's important is is for other people, people who don't know Jesus. Some of you that don't know him, people who are in our community, your friends, your neighbors, your family who don't know him. It's really important that we are equipped so that we can be that missing link for them to have life. Because without you, someone could live without the hope of God. Like without you, someone could live without the hope of God. So, so it's important for other people. It's important for God's mission because God's mission is that everyday ordinary people like me and you, we would, take this, we would take this message to the ends of the earth. So it's important for God's mission. It's also important for us like selfishly and individually because everybody in here, we have this gnawing in our soul to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. We have this transcendent desire to be a part of a movement bigger than what we can accomplish with our own bare hands, hard work, and and study, and education. You know, I was at an event downtown this last week, and I was talking to a girl in in her early 30s, and she was a part of this organization that was making a massive difference. And I just talked to her a little bit about what she liked about it and what was appealing to her. And she said, I just love being a part of seeing what God's doing on a grand scale. I love being a part of, of what God's doing on a, on a scale of eternity, on, on working in the lives of men and women. She just loved that. And we all do. We, we all want to be a part of something like that. And what we've been doing through Equip is we've kind of been looking at the early church and how that movement went forward. You know, some of you may not know, but sociologists have studied the movement of the early church for centuries because it spread so rapidly. Because it started with Jesus and a few of his followers, about 12 of them. It multiplied to about 100, and then it went to a few thousand, and then to half the known Roman world at that time in less than a generation. It was quite the movement. So how how can we take that movement, how can we take that movement, apply it to this movement to see our movement multiply? How do we take the movement of the early church, apply it to what we're doing here, this movement called Stone Creek, and help it to multiply? Because the mission is multiplication. Like, how did the early church do that? 
What was their method for doing that? I think we all kind of know the answer. The the way that the early church did it was they just told people. Like it was really simple. You know, the Christians in the early church, they just told their brother or their neighbor or their husband or their wife or their coworker. They just told and then they told somebody and then they told somebody. It's just word of mouth marketing. You know, and we're masters at that. When we like something, we tell somebody. If we like a restaurant, or if we like a movie, or if we like church, we, we, we tell somebody about that. And this is the power of the church. It's not about a stage. It's about what happens in the everyday normal lives of everyday people like me and you. So, so, so what, what it, then what's missing? As, as we know, as, you, as you've heard, as you've read, as we've talked about, the church in America tends to be declining. That we're, we're on the way down. Why, why is that? And the reality is, is we just don't do what the early church did. We don't tell people. We, we, we just, we don't tell people what God has done in our lives. And just one statistic, just to kind of frame this up for this morning. L- less than half, that less than half of Christians in the United States have told, will, will, will tell somebody about Jesus in their lifetime. Like less than half. Over 60%, two-thirds of people will not tell anybody about Jesus in their lifetime when this is the mission that he gave us. So what is missing? What's missing between the early church and us? What's the gap there? Did they just have like better classes on evangelism? You know, as we look in the Bible, like, did they say, hey, we're going to have evangelism training Monday at 7 o'clock. We'll have child care and bad coffee. Like, is that, is that what we're missing? It doesn't seem to be. It doesn't seem to be we're missing social media. It doesn't seem that was to be their, that wasn't their method. They didn't do these grand campaigns. What is the missing ingredient? What is the gap that we need to recapture in our lives to make a big difference? And we can't miss this because if we miss this, we'll miss the reason why we exist. We'll miss out on this playing a part in the big picture. We will miss out on living a life that's bigger than ourselves. And somebody that you know may miss out on a relationship with God. So we're going to unpack that today. Let's grab our Bible. We're going to be in Acts chapter 4 today. Acts chapter 4. As you open your Bible, you'll notice um, Acts is the story of the early church. Like as we look at the Bible, we have Jesus. He dies. He's resurrected. He goes into heaven. And then you have what's called the Acts of the Apostles, this action book. And it talks about how the, the mission and the movement of Jesus went from just a handful of followers to literally half the known world in one generation. And the story that we're going to look at today is a story of these two, two guys named Peter and John. So Peter and John were some of Jesus' earliest followers. They were really important to the movement. He gave, they lived with him, walked with him, talked with him, saw him, and they imitated his life. Now, Peter and John, after Jesus is gone, they're walking down the street one day, and they're walking towards the temple, and there's a man, it said, who was, uh, he, was, he had been paralyzed, basically crippled since he was born. And so he looks up at Peter and John, and he wants money. Like, who wouldn't? That's what I would want. Like, hey, I need some help to buy some food. Like, I'm hungry. So Peter and John look at him, and Peter looks at him and says, I don't have any silver or gold, but what I do have, I'll give you in the name of Jesus. Stand up and walk. And this man stands up and walks. Like, I don't want to just blow by that. It's a miracle. Like, that doesn't happen every day. So when he stands up and walks, people begin to pay attention. People begin to say, what, what is that, and who is that, and how can I have some of that? And so Peter preaches. Thousands of people begin to follow. And then the religious establishment gets a little upset. They don't like the fact that their control mechanism is now, is now in doubt, that they're no longer in charge. And so they arrest Peter and John. 
And as they arrest Peter and John, they bring them before the, the authorities to be tried before the authorities. And we see in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, what that looks like. It says, when they, meaning the religious authorities, those who had this power to put Peter and John in jail, says when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated common men. They were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. So when they see Peter and John, they recognize they didn't have any special training. Like they didn't have a, they didn't go to a class on evangelism at the church at seven o'clock with childcare and coffee, right? They didn't have this special training. They didn't have this special uh, knowledge from God, but they had boldness. And this is what set them apart. This was the catalyst for the early church. And it's the same is true now. It's this boldness that they had to share the message, to speak about who Jesus was because they had been with him. They had, they had this boldness that was this catalyst. Listen, and we need this. Like what I'm amazed at is that if, if it were me, I would have been astonished because a man who couldn't walk could walk. What about you? Like that would have amazed me. But that wasn't, that wasn't the headline. The headline was their boldness. This was the catalyst for change. And without this, listen, without boldness, you're going to live a life of regret. You'll, you'll live a life of, wish I'd have done that. Oh, I wish I'd have spoken up here. I wish I would have talked to that person. I wish I'd have asked that question. I wish I would have. You know, they'll t- uh, sociologists tell us that we, we'll have regrets of things we've done in the past. We all have those, don't we? We, we regret some things that we've done, mistakes we've made, but we'll have more regrets at the end of our life of the things that we didn't do. And without boldness, the, those regrets will multiply in our life. Peter and John needed boldness. If you think about what they were facing, facing prison, facing ostracism from their family, facing uh, potential execution, facing potential torture, they needed boldness. They needed boldness. And, and so this is exactly exactly a missing ingredient in most of our lives is this level of boldness and it's the missing ingredient in the American church. So what exactly is this type of boldness? Like, what does it look like? You know, because we all have different definitions of boldness. If you think of a font that's bold, it's one that's darker and it's bigger, right? We know that's bold. You may think of someone who takes a bold step, bold step of action. So, so probably the, the thing I could think of that was the most bold that I've done recently was wearing this hoodie today. But behind that, there was this snake in my yard a couple years ago. And my wife had seen the snake and I was out of the country and I wasn't there to be the man and kill the snake. Or no, 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 relocate the snake. Sorry. And so I wasn't there to relocate the snake. I come home a couple months later and I'm out in the yard with a couple of guys who were going to do some work for me. And I can see the tail of the snake coming out of the weeds. And I know it's the snake. And so I'm standing there looking at the snake thinking about what I'm going to do. And so as I look at the snake, I ask one of the guys, like, hey, can you go get me a shovel so I can get this snake? And I look for the guys who are yard guys. They're professionals. And they're on the other side of the yard. I'm like, what's the deal with that? So I call them back over. I said, quit shaving your legs. Come over here and help me. Take your spanks off. Come over here and help me. And so the snake begins to slither off. I reached into the weeds and I grabbed the snake by the tail. True story. Now, that was either bold or stupid. I don't know which one. But we think of bold things like that. Like, like, you know, when I think of someone bold, I think of the first person who ate a raw oyster. Don't you? Like, who who had the grand idea to reach into the water, grab the shell, open it up, and say, hmm, that looks tasty. Like, who does that? Boldness. Like, what is bold? But what is Bible bold? Like, those are some examples of bold. Like, what is Bible bold? 
So as we look in the Bible, there's a word that's used for bold, and it's a compound word, okay? Compound word means you have two words, you put them together, it takes on a new meaning. And we, we know compound words. So for instance, you may have um, earth, you may have earth, and then quake. So earth means the globe, and quake means to shake. You put them together, you have an earthquake, the globe is shaking, the earth is shaking. We kind of know what that means. Um, you may have like tooth, you know what a tooth is, most of us have teeth. Um, and then you have paste, not glue, but paste, you put that together, you have something that you know, keeps you from having cavities. You know, you know maybe, maybe the color red, you know what the color red is, and then you have neck, you know, it's that thing that holds your head on your shoulders, and you put them together, and you have, like, my relatives, right? Red neck. <laughs> compound word. So, so the compound word that we see here is a word that comes together, and it means this. It means to say all. Okay, so the compound word for boldness Means it's two words that come together, and it means to say all. To say all. So when that word becomes a new word, part of the connotation of that word means that you're related to what you're talking about. It means that you're related to what you're talking about. In Acts chapter 4, verse 18 through 20. In Acts chapter 4, verse 18 through 20. If you were to look at that, it would say that um, we have it on the screen. So they call them and they charge them, meaning this is what they're doing with Peter and John because Peter and John are arrested. It says they called them and they charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. But we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. We have boldness with things that we know about. And here's what we see. This, this nuance of boldness, this part of the definition, means that I speak about what I know about. When you are bold, you speak about what you know about. Sometimes we speak about things we don't know anything about, don't we? If we're just honest, can you say politics? Like, can you say sports? Like, we talk about sports as if we know anything to do. And if we were under the pressure of an NBA Finals game, you know what we would do? crawl up in a fetal position and get under a chair, right? I mean, listen, we speak about things we don't know about, but there are some things that we do know about. So like, think about this. Like, let's say you're going to, you want some of your friends to go to a restaurant. And so you talk about, you, you, you go on and you look at the Yelp reviews and they're amazing. And you go online and you look at the menu choices that you can buy and you see the pricing structure that's on there. You look at the reviews, you look at the pictures that are there, you look at the location, you tell your friend, you've got to go to this restaurant. And they go to that before they go, they're like, hey, what, what did you eat that was so good? You're like, I, don't, I, didn't, I didn't actually go. I just read the Yelp reviews, and it looks awesome. I think you'll like it. Now, contrast that with the restaurant you ate at, where you know what it smells like when you walk in the door. You know how clean it is. You know the atmosphere. You know the best table. You know the best dish to eat. You know who is going to wait on you and serve you. You know the best parking spot. You know the best time to go. And you tell someone to go and eat there. Completely different. Word of mouth marketing, right? Completely, you know something. You're speaking about something that you know. You're, you're speaking about it. Like, what about people? Like, think about this. One of my, one of my heroes is Teddy Roosevelt. I, I know some things about him, right? I, I've seen some things. I've read some things. And I, I could tell you some facts about his life, that he was president. And he was vice president before that. He was secretary of the Navy. He was the police commissioner in New York. He was the governor of New York. He went to Harvard. He was an asthmatic. All these things I could tell you about. But, but if I wanted to really tell you who he was and 
some of the nuances of his life. I've never sat across the desk from him. I've never listened to him give a speech. There's just some things that are going to be missing. But if I were to tell you about my wife, like I've known her for a long time. She raised me, as we like to say. I could tell you her strengths. I could tell you her character. I could tell you her wisdom. I could tell you how she laughs at me when I'm not funny. I could tell you all these great things about her and what you would experience. It's, it's different. We need to speak about what we know about. Listen, we're not sharing this boldly to push people's buttons. We're not trying to start an argument. We know that we've been changed. We know that the reason that people get baptized is because their lives are different. We speak about who we know. That's what we speak about. And one reason that some of you aren't bold today is because you've read the Yelp review on Jesus, but you don't know him. You can't speak about him because you don't know him. And our prayer would be that beyond anything that happened today, you will begin to know Jesus. The early church They were bold because they spoke about who they knew. They spoke about this Jesus who had changed their life. That's one nuance to this particular passage, a particular word for bold. Another nuance to this compound word for bold means that I just just speak freely about all of it, right? Like I don't hold anything back. I just kind of let it go, and I can tell you everything about Jesus that I know. And I don't have to worry about, like, did I get that right? And did I say the right thing? Did I ask the right questions? Do I know enough? I know Jesus, so I can just speak clearly about everything. I can talk to you about the fact that there is a God and he is so good. And everything that we love in life was created by God. Like everything that you enjoy, everything that you look forward to, everything that you dream about, it was created by God. And he wants us to enjoy it. That's his plan for us. That's his purpose for us. But there's a problem. The problem is that we stepped away from God's plan for us and we tried to execute our own plan, didn't we? We went selfish and we tried to think that we had the best plan, that God was holding out on us and we know best for ourselves. And the Bible says that separation that happens is called sin. And that we're broken from a relationship with God. But God, in his infinite goodness and love and graciousness, looked at us, saw the problem that we had, and he sent his son Jesus so that we might have purpose, that we might have life, so that we might have freedom, that we wouldn't be held down by addiction, that our marriages could be life-giving and long-lasting, that we could work in an area where we felt like we were making a difference, so that we could love other people, that Jesus came for us to be reconciled back to God so that life would then make sense. And the only response to that's our life. Like this is the goodness of God. This is what we call the gospel. This is what we share. Everything about who Jesus is. We don't talk about the man upstairs. <laughs> we don't talk about the good Lord. We talk about what Jesus has done in our life. This is the gospel. And this is what we speak freely about. And we don't hold anything back. Now, now this, doesn't mean, this doesn't mean that we're rude. Okay? Have you, ever, have you ever met somebody and it feels like they have absolutely no filter? And you're thinking, man, you need a filter and you need to learn how to use it. Like they just say things and it's like they just want to pick a fight and they just want to be on the right side of things. and They want to prove that you're wrong. Have you ever met anybody like that? Like one of the things we used to tell our kids and some of you guys use this as a parenting technique. Are you trying to get somebody in trouble? You're trying to get them out of trouble. And too many people feel like they're talking about Jesus trying to get people in trouble rather than telling people about Jesus so they can get out of trouble. And it comes across as being rude. You know, Paul said this in the Bible. He said, love is not rude. Love is not rude. And so we don't, we don't need to be rude. And we don't need to be 
We don't need to just be uh, belligerent and angry with people. We just need to speak about the things that God has done in our life. Um, there's this quote about humility that I think is incredible. I think we all need to keep in mind as we share the gospel. It says this, humility honors God and God honors humility. Humility, it honors God and God honors humility. We always need to walk in humility. And we do need to be sensitive, for sure. We need to be sensitive to people. Sometimes we need to know what's going on in their life. Sometimes we need to be sensitive to the relationship. Sometimes we need to be sensitive to the specific circumstance where we're talking with him. But too many times our sensitivity becomes an excuse. And so listen, we can't let sensitivity become an excuse, be an excuse for our silence. We can't let sensitivity and say, I'll get to that later. We can't say, oh, maybe right now may not be the, the right time. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll ask them this later. Maybe it'll come up in another conversation. We can't let our sensitivity become an excuse for our silence. We have to be bold when it comes to telling people about the person that we know in Jesus. You know, sometimes we don't want to be offensive. You ever thought that? Like, I don't want to tell anybody. I don't want to say it right now because I may offend somebody. And so, so here's what I want to do. I want to paint two pictures of offensiveness. And one's, one's pretty heavy-handed. I'll get to that in just a minute. Um, but, but I just want you to think about being offensive to someone when you tell them boldly about Jesus. So let's imagine you have a family over to your house and, you know, Ladies are hanging out inside, guys are outside on the back deck, and you're with your buddy out on the back deck. You got something going on the smoker, and you're just kind of out there uh, getting something to drink, and you just begin to share with him about Jesus. Now, there is a small possibility, really small, that he's going to say, Stephen, I'm offended. Like, this is annoying. I know you want me. I know what you believe about Jesus. I know you want me to go to church. Listen, I came at Easter. Isn't that enough? You know, and so there's, there's a small, small, small possibility. What we know is that rarely happens. So there's this small possibility that you offend them. So, so, so that may happen. Now, there's this other thing that's going to happen to you and your friend, whoever it is. Here's something that's certainly going to happen to all of us. I'm going to die. You are going to die. And your friend is going to die. Welcome to church. Like there is, you're going to die. I'm going to die. And here's how death is going to go for us. Those of us who follow Jesus, who know Jesus, not that are perfect, not who have it all together. Those of us who know Jesus, we're going to live in a relationship with the God who loves us. The God who has everything that we love available to us. We're going to live with God throughout eternity because we believe in Jesus. This is the way that's going to happen. But the other people who, people who don't believe in Jesus are going to spend eternity without God. Right? They're going to spend eternity without anything that God provides, without grace, without light, without air. They're going to spend eternity separated from God. The Bible calls that hell or Hades or get hell, a lot of different words. They're going to spend eternity without God. Now, let me ask you this. How offended is your friend going to be when he is spending eternity without God? Small amount of offended or 100% offended? He's going to be totally offended, totally annoyed, totally angry. Why didn't you tell me? I think the risk is worth it. Maybe he'll be a little bit offended here, but if he gets here without me telling him, he's going to be greatly offended. We can't worry about that. Well, we can't. Actually, worry about be offending people. Just worry about offending them a little bit and not a lot. We, we, we can't let our sensitivity and our fear keep us from sharing the message. You know, another, another aspect of this word is, you know, I speak about Jesus who I know. I, I speak freely. I don't hold back. But, but also there's this level of risk that comes into play. 
Because there's a little bit of fear involved. Now, Peter and John, if we're, if we're honest, if we're just honest, Peter and John had a pretty high level of risk. They risk imprisonment. They risk execution. They risk torture. They risk being shunned from their family. They risk their livelihood. They, they risked a lot. Most of us don't have that level of risk. But we do have a risk. There's a risk that we may could get ridiculed. There's a risk that someone could say something to us. There's a risk that people could maybe not hang out with us as much. We have a, a small level of risk. So to be bold doesn't mean I don't have fear. Be, to be bold doesn't mean I don't have fear. If I step into a situation and I feel like I should share, I'm like, oh, wait, I've got some fear. I'm not bold. God must not be in this. Like, no, 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 no. There may be a level of fear. I love this quote by David, David White. He says this. The price of our vitality is the sum of our fears. In other words, everything that you want out of life, vitality, purpose, future, hope, joy, the price of that, what happens is when we buy into our fears, we give up to our vitality. When we buy into our fears, we give up our vitality. That's what happens. And we hand it over. Like we can't let fear. One of the things we see in the Bible is that we run towards fear. That we run towards fear. One of the great stories about fear is David and Goliath. Maybe, maybe you've heard this story. You know, David, as this small boy, finds himself facing this giant named Goliath. And we would love to think that David had no fear. But I can only imagine that as David's approaching a giant, as a small boy with not really the most sophisticated weaponry, he's got some fear. But David runs towards that fear. And sometimes this is what we need to do. Sometimes we need to step into that fear. We need to step into that discomfort. Some of you right now, you're thinking about somebody and you know you need, to, you need to speak to them about Jesus, about their eternity, about their future, about their hope. And, and you're just kind of wrestling with it. You need, to, you need to run towards that today. You need to step into fear. You know, the definition of boldness is this. It's courage as we kind of put it all together. It's courage to speak freely about the Jesus that I know. That's what it means to have the boldness. It's the courage to speak freely about the Jesus that I know. Now, now how do I get there? Like, how do I get that kind of boldness? Is it, is it just like when we were kids jumping off the high dive? Is it like we get to the edge and we want to go, but we can't, and we're a little afraid of heights, and we just finally say one, two, three, and throw ourselves out there? Is that how we get, is that how we get boldness? And that's not how Peter and John got boldness. Watch what happens in Acts chapter 4, verse 28, I mean 29 through 30. It says, there was a group praying for Peter and John. The church was praying for Peter and John. And they prayed this, Lord, look upon the threats. Grant to your servants, Peter and John, to continue to speak your word of God with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant. They had people praying for boldness. They prayed for boldness. This is how the early church built the movement of multiplication that happened throughout history. It was that they prayed for boldness. I don't know about you, but if it's me, I'm like, Lord, help me not go back to prison. God, help me not to be in danger. Help me to be able to be unseen. But they didn't. They didn't care about any of that. They prayed for boldness. This was this was how they operated. And guess what? God answered their prayer. In Acts chapter 4, verse 31, as we see the rest of the story, it says, When they had prayed, the place where they were gathered was shaken. And they were all filled with the Spirit. And they continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. 
Like so many times, we don't know if our prayers get answered and they don't get answered and we're not sure why and what is prayer anyway. They prayed for boldness, God gave them boldness. They prayed regularly for boldness. They didn't pray for safety, they didn't pray for comfort, they didn't pray for millions to come. They didn't pray for revival. They prayed for boldness to speak about the Jesus that they knew. This is what, this is how the early church built the mission. God answers prayers for boldness. It's a prayer that God answers every day. Like, where do you, what do you need to pray for boldness? Maybe it says you go to drive to work tomorrow. God, help me to be bold, to speak freely with the per- my cube mate, my office mate, with the person I meet in the parking lot. Maybe it's in your neighborhoods. Maybe in your neighborhood as you, as you go home and as you drive down the street, God, give me the courage to speak boldly about the Jesus that I know. You know, maybe it's, maybe it's with your family as you gather around the dinner table. You begin to pray for boldness, that God would just give you this boldness to be able to share with your neighbors, with your kids' friends and their parents what it looks like to follow Jesus. Let me ask this question. Uh, many of you are connected in some way. Maybe it's Men's Connect. Maybe it's Women's Connect. Maybe it's uh, in one of our equipped, equipped training experiences. Maybe it's in a group. Maybe it's in a ladies' Bible study or something. How many, how many of you are connected through that? Yeah, like hundreds. So many people. What if this week, and this is the challenge this week, is as you're gathered together, you pray for boldness. You pray for each other, boldness. You look across and you ask someone, you say, hey, hey, John, like what, who are you praying for to be able to share? I want to pray with you. I want to join in this prayer like the early church joined with Peter and John. Like, how do we get there? Help, help me pray for you. We were in a meeting this week and this idea came up and we just stopped the meeting and we just began to go around like, who are you praying for? Who are you praying for? How can I pray for you? And we went around and we prayed for each other just to have the boldness to share in your equipped training, in your small group over the course of this week, what if you just began to pray for boldness? Boldness to be able to speak freely the things that God has done in your life and the things that can help someone enter into the water of baptism. Listen, the missing link for you may be, may be your boldness. And someone you know, someone you know could live without the power of Jesus in their life, without your boldness. Let that sink in for a minute. Someone you know could live without the power of Jesus in their life if you don't have boldness to speak freely about what Jesus has done. Like, who is it for you? If you follow Jesus, this should be something that we begin to ramp up in our lives. It's something that we should teach our kids about. And every time we go to work, we're walking into a restaurant and we're thinking, God, if there's an opportunity here, if there's a conversation I need to have, as we walk in to get our haircut, God, if there's something you want me to say, help me to step into it. Help me to be bold. God, I want, I want you to be pleased with me. Like, God, give me boldness. We need to pray for boldness. I had a story of one of our uh, young adults that got baptized today about his boldness. And it says this, in the past at work, I've always searched for opportunities to take prayer requests from my customers and coworkers. However, I began to boldly pray for opportunities to talk about Jesus with them. The more I prayed, the more I was able to pray with and for people at work right on the spot. Recently, my boss asked me to speak at an event to share how I overcame the struggles of becoming a sales rep for the first time. There were over 30 people in the room. We all did our introductions and were asked to share something personal. When it was my turn, I shared that I'm a Christian and I go to Stone Creek Church. Like, do you ever do that during your icebreaker? I'm a Christian and I go to Stone Creek Church. Amazing. I kept praying for a chance to really share what I believe and why. In front of everyone, I had an opportunity to share how it was my own, how it was my faith and my relationship with Jesus that led me to persevere through anxiety and the pressure of taking on this position. 
I got the opportunity to share my personal story and how Jesus was at the center of it all. I received several questions in private once we were done. And some people even asked to get coffee with me outside of work to talk more about this. And by praying for these opportunities to share my relationship with Jesus, I even got to lead a friend to Jesus for the first time. Yeah. He prayed for boldness. We need to be people that pray for boldness. We need to be a church that prays for boldness. You know, a lot of us live like this. Cross our fingers. Hope is going to be okay. God, I hope I get that degree. God, I hope I get that job. God, I hope she says yes. God, I hope I get that promotion. God, I hope we get that offer on that house. God, I hope I have enough. God, I hope, I hope, I hope. And what if we stopped crossing our fingers and hoping for God? We folded our hands and prayed to God for boldness. This is the key of the movement. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for all that we have, that we have the message of life, that we have the greatest message in the world, that you've entrusted us with the dignity of carrying forth your message of your son to the world. God, that when you put us in the path of people every single day who need to understand how much you love them and you've placed us there so that we can tell them and that they can experience it. God, I know that boldness to speak sometimes feels like it's overwhelming. It feels like we don't know what to say. It feels like it's for somebody else. But God, if we would all just share this conviction this morning that it is for us. And God, you have placed people in our families, our neighborhoods, at our jobs, in our hobbies, and our other extracurricular activities, God, that you've put people there so that we can share. And God, you've uniquely wired us to be able to do it. God, we ask for boldness. We pray for boldness right now for us. We pray for boldness for those who, uh, the missionaries that we have in other places around the world. God, we pray that they would have the boldness to speak about what they've seen and heard, that you came to give us life. And God, we pray, I pray for those in the room now who don't know you. They don't have anything to share. They can't be bold because they don't know you. That God, today will be the day they take that step to just commit their lives to follow you. God, we ask that you would continue to help us multiply the movement, that everything that you've put in our hearts and you put in our path, God, that you would take it and multiply it. God, that we would just be able to see you do a grand work of multiplication. God, that we'd be a part of something bigger than ourselves, something bigger than just a Sunday morning at 11 o'clock. But God, it would be something that moves from here throughout the world and throughout history, God, as people's lives are changed for generations. God, we pray for those who got baptized today, that they would walk in their schools and workplaces tomorrow with boldness to tell people how exciting their Sunday was and what happened to them. And God, we just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.